Good evening, brothers and sisters. It's a privilege to be here with you. I had been praying for you as I think about this time we're going to spend together. And I forgot in all of that how many familiar faces were actually here. I didn't remember who all um, attends here. So it is comforting to see familiar faces, and I hope to learn to know the rest of you a little better throughout the week. Um, my, I'm here by myself tonight. I do have a wife and a family. Uh, my wife teaches school, and she has her hands full right now, so she probably will not catch up with me till um, Saturday afternoon. Um, she'll be here Saturday evening. And so you'll get to see some of her. We have four grown children, and the youngest one is still living at home. And so that's a little snapshot of our lives. Um, I'm excited about looking into God's Word together. I think it's a privilege. God's Word is a treasure chest. And the more we dig into it, the more treasures we find. And so as we mine some of those treasures together this week, I trust that that can help us to continue to grow I came with a song in mind that I would like to sing tonight, just a familiar verse of song to get us started together. It's uh, really easy. I'm pressing on the upward way. You all know that one, don't you? I think that uh, that's, expresses my heart. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. A higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I wonder how many of you feel like you got your feet mired in the muck. (laughs) You pay attention to the news. How many of you listen to the news or read the news? You know what's going on in the world today? It's kind of messy, isn't it? If you're paying attention to what's happening in Ukraine and the news that... Russia broadcasts is quite different from the news that the rest of the world is broadcasting. And I wonder if any of you have considered or felt this way, how do I know what to believe? Any of you ever wondered that? How do you know what's true? It's like all of the public media platforms and all of the trolls and all of the people that are putting out disinformation How do you sort through what is believable and what is trash? How do I know what is true? And it's not just with the news media, but it's it's with all of life. When I was in business for myself years ago, probably the most frequent thing that came question that came to me is. Who can I trust? Especially when I went out of business and started working for Martins. Do you have anybody to recommend? I don't know who I can trust. And so the question for us to consider tonight is how do you know what to believe? 
How do you know who to trust? Do you have a way of discerning what is right and what is not trustworthy? And I'll have to tell this up front right now. Um, I kind of get my teaching and my preaching all mixed up. And so this is a classroom, which means you get to talk too, okay? <laughs> so if I ask a question and run over you when you're trying to give an answer, it's because I'm half deaf. My wife says I need hearing aids. But I do like to get some response from you guys. I feel like our learning experience is good when we interact a little bit. So don't feel bashful to go ahead and answer some questions when I ask them. But I'm interested in knowing how do you discern what is trustworthy? Go ahead. Okay. There's a lot of children here tonight, and I'm sure you've heard things like this. A child reports something that seems fantastic. And then they say, But Dad, I saw it! How many of you believe things you see? Well, there's, there's, there's problems with that sometimes because sometimes we don't always catch things that we see. And maybe that happens to you on the highway. You can visualize that you see something and... What was that? You saw something. What did I see? Was that a dead coyote laying there by the road? I'm not sure. We're not always sure about what we see. But that is one of the criteria that I think helps us to believe. When we see something, we're pretty well convinced of it, usually, if we've got a good look at it. How about the things that you hear? I heard them say that. I heard it with my own ears. Did I just hear that? (laughs) That's a pretty good proof for us, isn't it? When we have witnessed it ourselves with our own ears, with our own eyes. And I thought when you held up your hands there, I thought you were going to say the things we can touch, right? How do you know that I'm standing up here and that I'm not just an illusion? Well, you can hear me, right? And you can see me. You could come up here and touch me. I'm real. I'm a person. I'm not just a figment of your imagination. So these are some things that are very uh, helpful in discerning truth. And I would like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John. And we'll see how the Lord directs. But at this point, I'm thinking we're going to take some time to look in 1 John this week. 1 John is an interesting book. He plows really deep. He says things that are very simple to understand. But you can take your lifetime and not, and not plumb the depths of all the things that John says here. And we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1 tonight. And so we'll just start with verse 1. 
It says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. So John is giving reasons for us to believe what he is saying. He says, I have heard it. We have heard it. We have seen it. In other words, it wasn't just, what was that? But we had a prolonged look. And then it says, uh, we have looked upon him. And that means to gaze at or to study, to inspect and say, uh-huh. It is exactly what I thought it was. And then he said, we touched him. Of the word of life. And you remember that one disciple that says, I'm not going to be the gullible guy. There is no way that I'm going to believe that there's a resurrection of somebody that was crucified because I saw him die. You guys wish so bad that he was alive. That your minds are running away with you. And unless I put my fingers in the nail prints in his hand, lest I touch his side, I'm not going to believe. Remember what Jesus said? Come over here, Thomas. Stick your finger right here. Feel this. What did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. I believe. He didn't have to touch. <laughs> but John is giving us some of that same kind of trustworthy information and he says, we're talking about the word of life. And words are so important. Words are code. Words are how we communicate ideas from one person to the next. And it's important that we use the same kind of code so we're on the same page. If we speak the English language, we're okay. If I would say to you, How many of you understood that? If we're speaking the same language, if we're using the same code, you might say uh, something like this. Dale, Lotfan. But it's not working for you, is it? I can see you in your faces. It's not communicating to you because you don't know the code. And words are so important. Messages are so important. But if we can't communicate the message, it's no good. Monday I was at Talib's house. Talib lives in State College and he's from Kazakhstan, if I remember right. And I wasn't in his house long until I realized that the good smells in there were coming from someone at the stove who appeared to be his mother. And the man sitting at the table appeared to be his father. And we were having a conversation there and they were going about doing whatever they were doing because obviously it meant zero to them. And so I said to Talib, I said, how do I say hello to your father? He said, Salam. Oh, I said, that's Arabic. Okay. Well, he said, actually, Turkic, but it, 
So we were down in the basement and I was tr- something niggling in the back of my mind. I said, how do you say goodbye in your parents' language? And he said something and I, I, I couldn't connect it. And then I said, how about um, Hoda Hafez? Oh, yeah. He said, that's Persian. He said, they understand that. So before I left, I said to his father, I said, Hoda Hafez. And his mother turned around from the stove with the most surprised and amazed look on her face. And she said, Hoda Hafez. It was because all of a sudden there was a connection. We understood. And actually it means something like, God be with you. Goodbye. But words are so important. Words are powerful. Now our words are not all that powerful, but God's words are powerful. This talks in verse 1 about that which was from the beginning. God, when he speaks, he can create things. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, and God said, and God said, and things became, the world became. Our words are not that powerful, but it says here in the end of verse 1, of the word of life. And that word life there doesn't just mean breathing, or that plants are green, or that animals are moving around. But that word life there has to do with life as it was intended to be. Life in all of its potential. And John is telling us that this one whom they have heard and seen and had physical contact with has the words that have to do with life as it ought to be. And I really wonder how many of you here, if I could tell you that I have the key to life as it was before man's fall into sin, that you could experience all of the best that God has for us, how many of you would be interested? Because we live in a broken world, in a world that's so much less than it ought to be. And even for those of us who have turned our hearts toward God, we still live in a broken world. And we still struggle with our own human flesh. And life is not always what it ought to be. But John says, this one we've touched has the key, the word, the message about life as it ought to be. And so, going verse uh, 2 says, For the life was manifested, we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. There are some old English words in there, but I just wonder what you see here on this piece of paper. What do you see? If I would tell you that there is a white circle in the middle of this paper, can you, how many of you can see it now? Oh, okay. So you did see it. <laughs> how many of you can see that white circle? Is that a little better? 
This was not so manifest, at least not quite manifest enough that you would venture to say there's a circle in the middle. Well, is, am, I, am I seeing something? Is that a spot in front of my eyes? I'm not sure. But this, you don't have a doubt about it. It's really hard to see things when they're the same. But it's very easy to see when there's a contrast. And this is why that life is so visible coming into the world. Because it was so different from the brokenness around. This Son of God, as it's going to be revealed later on in these verses, was in stark contrast to what was considered to be normal. And so many times Christians would like to fit in like this. We need to be more like the people around us and so we can win them. To what? God calls us to be something different. So the life was manifested. We have seen it and bear witness and show to you that eternal life which was with the Father manifested to us. How do you know you can believe John in what he's saying? How do you know that he's not just a troll sending out fake messages? How many people do you know that are willing to die for a lie? There's very few people that are willing to die for a lie. There's many people that will die for the truth. And John is saying, he says, uh, we are bearing witness. And that word is martyros. In other words, a martyr. I am staking my life on what I'm telling you. And this message is important. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you and that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know what fellowship is all about? Who can explain fellowship for me? See if I can get you to talk. What's fellowship all about? Common sharing. Common sharing. Yes. Participation. So, do you ever eat together here? At a church? What do you call that? What do you call that here? A fellowship meal. At our church, a lot of people call it a carry and I think that comes from the South. I still, where I grew up, we call it a fellowship meal. That's what it is for me. Uh, you get together and you're taking part. The food is set out and nobody's sitting back and saying, I'll just wait and talk to you guys when you're done eating. Everybody's taking part. And this is what John is saying. I'm giving you opportunity to take part in all of this. It's not just for me and the other disciples. But the reason we're telling you about this is because you have the opportunity to participate. And you have the opportunity to know that this is truth by personal experience. It can be yours. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a difficult word, isn't it? I don't know what your background is. I have a hard time... Truly understanding the struggle that most people have with this. Because I have a dad that loved me. I had a dad that took time for me. I had a dad that I had a good relationship with. And I have a dad that I still, when I get down to see him, I give him a hug. Say, Dad, I love you. 
And that's possible because he was in my life. But for our world today, probably the largest percentage of people don't know what it's like to have a dad, to have a father. And there's deep wounds that go around in people's lives. There's a tremendous loss. I lived nearby Bald Eagle Boys Camp. Forty boys at a time in there. Two years trying to overcome a lot of the difficulties that come from a broken relationship many times with their dad, sometimes with their mom. And they don't know how to function in life because something is missing. I haven't received the love and the care that I'm supposed to have. And so there's always that emptiness in my life and I'm striving to get attention. I'm misbehaving and being disrespectful because I hurt inside. John says here, he's starting to introduce what that fellowship is all about. That fellowship that you can have, that participation you can have is with the Father. And I don't know where you're at today. If that's something that's missing in your life, it's a very real thing that many people struggle with. And it makes life very difficult. But I want you to know that John's invitation goes out to everyone. Here is a father. Someone who cares deeply about you. Someone who is always going to be there. He will never let you down. He never breaks his promises. And with his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus means Savior. That's, that's God's Son's name. He came into this world for the purpose of saving broken lives. Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. That just simply means He's the promised one. This is something that has been promised from the very beginning when man fell into sin. When man disobeyed God. And broke that relationship with God. The first thing that God did was make a promise. He said, I'm sending someone to break the power of sin, to break the power of Satan. And so he says the fellowship can be with the one who is a savior. The fellowship can be with the one who is promised from the very beginning. The son of the father. Verse four, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. You know what it is to live in a broken world. And even though you may be a believer and you know what it is to have joy in your heart and to have fellowship with the Father and with Jesus, you know what it is to live in the midst of people that have broken lives. And John's saying, I'm telling you all this stuff so that you can experience joy the way that Adam and Eve had joy in the garden, in their meeting with God in the cool of the day. Verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So right here we get to the whole point of what John is starting to feed to us. He says, I have the message. Here's the word. Here is the thought that I want to convey to you. And this is the thesis of the first part of the book of 1 John. And that is that God is light. That doesn't mean that light is God. It's not in, not able to be reversed. It's not the same both ways. But it's a metaphor. And you know what a metaphor is? Sometimes we say that a picture is worth a thousand words. And if you enjoy art, you understand what it's like to look at a beautifully painted picture or a lovely photograph and look at it. And there's so much to be said about it, so much detail. And a metaphor is just that. 
In a few words, it can give you a great big picture that's difficult to explain in its entirety. But God is light. And so, talk to me a little bit about what light means to you. What does light mean to you? What does that whole concept of light mean to you? How many of you are happy for sunshine today? Why? It does. There's something about darkness that becomes depressing after a while. And for people that live in the Arctic places, deal with special emotional troubles because of the darkness. It's depressing. And light lifts the spirits. It gives hope. It gives life. Things begin to grow. And I'm seeing in the little rivulets that run by the road, there's green starting to pop up already, even though it's so cold outside. But life speaks of well-being. The opposite of darkness. And so, when we talk about God being light, this sheet shows darkness all around something that's white. When you think of something that's light, what do you think of when you think of something that's light? Let's name some things. What gives light? Light bulbs. But if you look up above, you can look around if you want to. What's that on the ceiling there? There's shadows up there, isn't there? What else gives light? The sun gives light. Did you ever hear about sunspots? You know the sun has dark spots on? That's incredible. That sun is so bright, you'll ruin your eyes if you look straight at it. But the sun has dark spots on it. Paul says when he was on the road to Damascus there came a light from heaven that was brighter than the noonday sun and a voice spoke to him who are you Lord I'm Jesus the one you're persecuting you remember the disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus fleshly body could not any longer withhold the glory of who he was within. And the scriptures record that his, even his garments became white in a way that no earthly washer could make them. There's no darkness at all in God. None. 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 This is the message. There's no darkness in God. Do you know anything else like that? Do you know anyone else like that? I'd like you to think about the people that you respect the most. Or maybe think about people who are powerful. Or think about people who are famous. Or think about people who are world leaders. 
Do you know anybody that doesn't have darkness? No matter how much you respect people, and sometimes this happens as a young person, there's someone that you really look up to. Become somewhat of a a role model or an idol, if you want to use that word. And then at some point, that person lets you down. And you see that there's some dark spots. That's devastating. But the message that God has for us is that in God, there's no darkness at all. None. He will never disappoint you. He will never let you down. He's never going to be less than you understand him to be. He is God. He is pure. He is holy. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. It's a lovely thing. It's a wonderful thing to think about. Now, let's see what else he has to say. In verse 6, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So in other words, we use that word participation to take part in. If I'm saying that I'm taking part of the life of God, then this is how my life should look, just like God's. But if I am saying that I'm walking hand in hand with God, who is all light and no darkness, but there's darkness in my life, then what does that make me? Can we dare say it? It makes me a a liar. A liar. In other words, I'm the one that can't be trusted because I'm not telling the truth. If there is darkness in my life and I'm claiming to walk with God, then I'm telling a lie. And that's serious because I'm saying that I'm walking beside God. That he's my friend and I'm taking part of the life that he has given me. But I'm sheltering darkness. Do you realize how damaging that can be to others? Do you understand why God doesn't like that? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, just a few moments ago, we were talking about it, that we don't know anybody that doesn't have some area of darkness in their life. We are human. We live in fallen, sinful bodies. We make mistakes. And sometimes we may even sin willfully. Rotten attitudes, wrong words, you name it. And that darkness does not fit with the life that belongs with God. But the wonderful thing is that there, if, is, if there is darkness in my life, the other part of this message is that his blood, the blood of Jesus, cleanses us from sin. Now we have that dirty word, sin. We were talking about light and darkness, and John keeps adding more ideas. So now we're not talking in metaphors anymore. We're just talking straight up. Darkness is sin. But sin can be taken care of by the blood of Jesus. Jesus didn't die because he did something wrong. 
Jesus came to die because he was the perfect son of God and he was the only one who could be the sacrifice for our own sin so that we could be just before God. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. What a wonderful thing. Let's keep moving here. It says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So now we're taking a close look at ourselves. It feels really rotten when you've been taken in by somebody else. When somebody else pulls a deceptive one on you and you believe them, it's frustrating. How dare you do that? But John is saying here that if we convince ourselves that I'm okay, we're actually deceiving ourselves. And if you would talk to most people on the street today and ask them, some of them, would say that they believe in an afterlife. Many people would believe in heaven. And then you say, well, what do I need to do to get there? How do you expect to get to heaven? What's the typical answer? I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And John says this, if we go around convincing ourselves that we're good people... We're deceiving ourselves because all we're doing is looking at the rest of the world and we're saying, well, according to that, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm better than that person. I'm not as bad as that person. I never did that. I'm a good person. But you're deceiving yourself because what you're comparing yourself to in that case is you're comparing yourself to the blackness. But we always need to compare ourselves to the Lord Jesus because in him is no darkness at all. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's that cleansing word again. I'm so glad for washing, for cleansing, forgiveness. There's a hard word for you, a difficult word. All of my boys worked for Tom Shortledge in Walker's Hardware in Lock Haven. As they grew up and got old enough, Tom would say to me, do you mind if Andrew works for me? Can you send Curtis in here? I would like to talk to him. I'd like him to work for me. Can you send Chris in? And so all my boys worked for Tom Shortledge. And Tom was a good family friend. My daughter actually delivered newspapers in there, so all of my children got in and out of that store. One day I was in there talking to Tom, and he said he was talking about someone who had died, somebody in the community who had recently died and left him with a bill. In other words, he had a house account. He didn't use a credit card, but Tom just kept the running tab, and then every once in a while they would come and settle up the bill, and this man had died with an open tab. I said, well, Tom, it's not a big deal. I said, all you have to do is send that into his estate and they'll end up paying that out of his estate. You'll get your money back. No, he said, I can't do that. And I knew what he meant. Because what's the community going to say? What's the family going to say about Tom? 
Here the family has lost their dad. They lost a father. They lost a brother. They lost a husband. And the only thing that Tom can think about is getting his money back. It's not a good reputation to have, is it? So Tom said, no, I'm not going to do that. Who paid the bill? Who paid the bill? Tom did. Tom paid the bill. Because there was nobody else to do it. And that's what forgiveness is. And you hear people sometimes say, I will never forgive so and so for what they did. That's a terrible thing. Because that means you go on without finding release. But I want you to remember that whenever there is forgiveness, somebody pays the bill. And it's the person that's owed. The person that owes the money or owes the debt goes off scot-free. And the person to whom it is owed absorbs the cost of that debt. That's what forgiveness is about. That's what happens when you forgive somebody in your life. They never will pay you back. It's always going to be that way. I assume the cost of myself and the other person goes scot-free. And that's what God did for us. There is no way that any of us can pay for the wrongs we've done. There is no amount of money in the world that can settle our wrongs and buy us away into heaven. But God says, if you will confess, if you will simply agree with me, that there is darkness, that there's sin in your life, and come agree with me on that, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to absorb that whole cost of myself, and you will be able to go away free. Tremendous, tremendous to be able to be free. What would you be carrying in your life if nobody had ever forgiven you? You would be carrying debts that you could never repay. But because of God's forgiveness... We can be free. One last verse, it says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So if I insist on saying, I'm a good person, then you know what you're doing? You're calling God a liar. And you haven't received the simple message that he has given That he is light. In him is no darkness. And if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'd like to close here this evening with just a simple twofold invitation. And I'll tell you ahead of time so you have a moment to think about it. The first part of the invitation is this. I have never received that forgiveness from God. And I want to agree with God tonight and say, yes, there is darkness in my life. And I want the God to bring his light into my life. I want him to deal with my sin so that I can be forgiven. That's the first part of the invitation. The second part of the invitation is, I have known what it is 
to have my sins forgiven. But there's some area of darkness yet in my life that I want God to take control of. And so as we bow our heads tonight, Brent, do you have a song for us to sing? Did you have something prepared? Sorry about that. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. So as we sing the first verse, if you have, and I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes or look at your book and not mind other people's business. It's time for you and God to evaluate. I have never, if I have never agreed with God about the sin in my life and I want to receive his forgiveness, I'll let you raise your hand while we sing that first verse. Shall we sing? So are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness I see. There's life for a look at the Savior. A life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look for his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his For the second verse, as we have our heads bowed again, if there's anyone here that says, yes, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, but I realize that there's an area of darkness that needs God's life, God's light, and God's forgiveness, I want to open my life up to God's light. I invite you to raise your hand or stand to your feet as we sing the second verse. this, I realize that in a growing church, there's a lot of people who are in a mature situation, but I still think it's good to make 
positive commitments. And so I'm going to give an opportunity for anybody that says, you know, I'm not sensing darkness in my life, but I simply want to commit myself to walking in the light. I realize that the God has called me as holy and I want my life daily to be walking in the light. And if you want to um, stand to your feet as we sing a chorus the last time again, we'll have prayer then after that. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look for His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Heavenly Father, I do want to thank you for my brothers and sisters here tonight. And thank you for these commitments out of a full heart of knowing your forgiveness and knowing the joy of fellowship with a God who is a father and his son who is our savior. Father, I do ask that you would honor these commitments to walking in the light. Thank you that you are faithful by your spirit to bring in conviction when we have shortfallings, when we sin unwittingly or even in a weak moment make a wrong choice. Father, I thank you that you are faithful by your spirit and I ask that you would continue to bring conviction. May our lives be filled with the glory of the risen Lord that people might take note of us that we've been with Jesus for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your presence here tonight. May God bless you. You are dismissed.